Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to episode 409 of The O Show, presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale, Arizona. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. Grand opening is approaching. No official date as of right now in the heart of Scottsdale, but VIP Week is among us here for Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. We are also sponsored by BetOnline.ag. You can sign up for that 50% bonus at betonline.ag with week three of the NFL coming your way starting tomorrow for Thursday Night Football. And on episode 409 of the podcast, we have the host of the Trend of Fire podcast streaming live from South New Jersey, my home state, the Garden State, Julian Dory. Thanks so much for coming on, man. What's going on, Jack? Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate yeah. it. And again, like I'm excited to talk to you because I feel like we are in the same boat of you know two young kids who started their own shows, their own platforms, wanting to learn from other people by just sharing stories and creating good content for people to see. And then there's other people among us. You know, a mutual friend of ours is Taylor Ringgold, who you had on. You know, right. from New York, he just had his first radio show at 2 a.m. for WFN, the Fan in New York City, which is really cool. And it's really cool to be connected to a bunch of people. That that are driven in the same capacity and the same mindset as one another. Agreed, man. And Taylor's a guy I met like, I don't know, two and a half, three years ago when we were grinding something in, in New York City, just doing an event like on a whim on a weekend. He was working it. Our team was working it with something separate. And, you know, you, you try to find the people who are out there and, and kind of want it. And, and yeah. he was definitely one of those guys. So it, it's, it's good to get the get connected within his network i mean it's awesome to see everybody succeeding to the ones that are truly in this for the long haul because we want nothing else you know like i know for me you know i started this when i was in the early years in college maybe after my freshman year in college i started this podcast in just my basement bar room with a a tv making a nice looking studio you could say and uh it's gotten to a point where we're able to now use dave pratt studios which i'm grateful for have you know a great audio team with hanko and zach and robin here doing audio and it's just it's fun to see things grow like this is the main reason why we do this and i kind of wanted to pick your brain about how you got into starting the trend of fire because you were i want to say like not happy doing your job you were working for uh, uh, merrill lynch right in finance and just decided that it wasn't for you so how did that all go about it's not a short story if that's okay uh but yeah it was it was a long process to even get to that point and I respect the guys like you who kind of knew what you wanted earlier on and and went after it because goddamn is that an advantage there's I think there's a time you get to after you start your career where you start to realize that okay I assumed I didn't know too much but I knew absolutely nothing and I got to that point probably about 2 years in 
And I was working in Merrill, as you said, and I was what's called a private banker. So we worked with ultra high net worth individuals and then companies on some things. So it could be as on the company side, it could be something as basic as like a 401k if it was like a really big one or like a 10B5-1, like an SEC plan or something like that. And then the individual side, it was like, all right, we're the quarterback of your financial life. And my boss, who I worked for in our team, we did... You know, the average net worth was like 60, 70 million. We had a lot of clients up towards a B. So you're dealing with people who have kind of shaped society in a way, and you're dealing with pretty high stakes, which is cool. But the work itself is at a bank, and there's a lot of rules at banks. And there's a lot of rules that have been put in there because a few people took advantage of systems and screwed over a lot of people. And so, you know, I started to find that, there was more of a question around us all the time of how can we not do business versus how can we do business? And that was a huge, huge red flag for me. And so I just found myself getting more and more pissed off. And I was also then starting to realize that I had kind of a creative gene, which I never recognized, which was really dumb. Like when I look at some of the stuff I was interested in growing up, of course, that's what I had, but I just never realized it. And so I started working on some side LLCs and it was nothing crazy, but it was like enough to get me like excited about some things. You had control over your own stuff. Sure. But you know, it's not like it was going anywhere, which, which by the way, I forgot to ask before, like how language wise, what are, what's the stipulations here? I don't want to you can say whatever the up. fuck you want. All right, beautiful. All right, just making sure. Cause, you know, anyway, <laughs> should have asked that ahead of time, I bet. But, yeah, so I was – wait, where was I? I'm sorry. You were uh, discussing, you know, your job not being happy there because you didn't really have control over Right, anything. and the LLCs. Doing your Thank own you. stuff with the LLCs. So, I yeah, I mean, you're controlling your own stuff with that, but you're not – like these weren't major businesses going anywhere, if that makes sense. So in that business, in the finance game, the part of it that I was in, because there's a lot of different aspects of it, it's pretty much you come out of college, you grind like a dog for three to four years, and if you actually make it, you get the offer. And so I was fortunate enough to get through, get to the offer, worked for a guy I love, and he gave me the offer, and that was my holy shit moment. I was like, okay. I can't do this. Mm. Like, because if I said yes to that, like I'm committing technically I, I could leave six months later, but like, I would never do that to him. And I told him that. And I'm like, that's a sign that like, I don't like this. I'm not going to do it. I like you. That's not a reason to be at the job. And he was like, obviously, you know? So I started trying to figure out how to shift industries, wanted to get towards something in marketing. And this is like 2019, late 2019. And so then the pandemic Obviously, we didn't know that was coming, but I had been doing some media work on the side through some of my LLCs, and I did an event in January 2020, and a bunch of people afterwards were saying, bro, you need a podcast. And I'd heard that a bunch before, but I was like, what What the fuck am I going to do with a podcast? Like, no. But these people, they were saying it over and over and over, and I guess I was at enough of a crossroads that I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just start researching like things I got to put in equipment wise. Cause I didn't know anything about this stuff. Any of our media work, I always had a producer. I knew what it was cause they told me what to do, you know? So I just kind of started looking into it on the side and 
January throughout February. It was like this hobby at night and on the weekends while I was also trying to shift my career. And then the pandemic hit and I had totally forgotten that a week before the first day of quarantine, I had actually ordered everything. And so it all got there on the first day. And I was looking at the equipment and I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with a podcast? Because I I didn't even remember it was coming because the whole world was upside down. And then I was like, you know what? That's kind of a sign. And so I just started researching and building. And then I launched in September 2020. But I guess the long-winded way of getting to it is that there wasn't like this long-term plan or anything I had in mind. I just kind of fell into it. And once I fell into it, I had to roll with it. And I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just trying to make great content. And it's similar to what you said up front. It's just I'm talking with people. We're doing long-form, high-cut conversations as far as like it's going to go wherever it goes. I have no idea anytime. And and then – see if something great happens and once in a while something something pretty special has come out of the guest who's come in who are whoever that is and that's just a really cool thing so i'm doing everything i can but that's that's where i'm at it took me a good 150 200 episodes or so to really get going with mine you know like the first 50 episodes i ever did were either with my brother in our basement or i talked to myself and just gave my own you know pissant takes and opinions on life stuff that maybe like my parents were going to listen to, right? You know, it's a grind. It's not it's not one straight arrow either. It's a slippery slope to get to where you want to be. But you just said it right there. You know, like you have conversations with people, which leads to things that you didn't think you were going to learn that day or talk about that day for any matter. And you know, because I listened to the one, um, don't know his name, but the guest you had on about him being by the World Trade Center for nine eleven and what he experienced. Oh, Jim. Yeah. yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about that, because that story alone, you know, like you probably weren't going into that conversation thinking like, oh, my God, like I'm going to learn something pretty badass today. Because you hear those 9-11 stories all the time of someone, you know, sleeping in that day. They were supposed to be at work at 930, but they went to the Jets game the night before. Um, I use that example because I actually knew a guy who went to a Jets game the night before, before that happened. But, you know, you hear all those crazy 9-11 stories kind of you know just to talk about your show and the trend of fire and what you guys talk about kind of explain you know that story a little bit because i thought that was one of the more intriguing stories that you had on the show yeah jim is dynamite and there's a reason why i think i've had a few that are seemingly towards the top and he's definitely top three guests i've had as far as what the audience has liked and that's not a surprise to me because, number one, he's an unbelievable storyteller. And number two, his resume is insane. I mean, he's one of those guys that you, you never heard about, and there's a reason you never heard about it. And then I just happen to have a really good relationship with him, which is really cool. And he agreed to come on and do this. But, yeah, so little background before I get to that story. He was he was West Point, 86 was an army ranger after that, was over in Somalia with all that stuff, did, I don't know, maybe like seven, eight years active as an army ranger, came back to America, went straight into the FBI. He did, I think it was like 10 or 11 years total of undercover work that was insane. That stuff he can't talk about publicly, obviously. And then the other 15 years with the FBI, he was a special agent in charge with a specialty in interrogation. So he was one of the guys, one of the handful of guys they would send around the world to take care of things, if you know what I mean. And one of those things, like a pop culture example, was he was the guy that walked on the boat and told the pirates to get the fuck off and told Captain Phillips he could have it back. 
Um, he was also in the Middle East questioning some of the major terrorists that, and that stuff that was going down there at a couple different points, but never really talked to him deeply about that. So I'm going to bookmark that and do that again. But when it came to the story you're referring to about 9-11, 9-11 is actually something that is unbelievably personal to him because he was an FBI agent based out in New York City area, working in those various offices when he wasn't undercover. He was working out of there. And he was in the city that day. And also, he's actually married to a 9-11 widow, which he, not like he knew that at the time, but pretty another wild twist of the story there. But he was in the city, and he, and I believe it was the Newark, New Jersey State Police Maritime Unit, along with the Coast Guard. And then I think, I don't know if he mentioned this in the podcast, but I think it was also in concert with the Port Authority. Oh, wow. New York, New Jersey, were meeting that morning to discuss how they would respond if a catastrophe were to occur in New York City. And the terrifying irony of that is that one of the stories that has come out in the years since 9-11 that I think a lot of people still don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but have you happen to see a recent documentary i think vice did it it was like earlier this year where they were talking about the boats and 9-11 yeah i've actually watched three different documentaries there's one on netflix there was one on hbo and then there was that one yeah so that one described what happened that day which is you know the world's ending these buildings are like coming down and they're on fire for a long time for 102 minutes then they're coming down and all these boats these ferries and then just straight up regular boatsmen from new york and new jersey and the and then the coast guard and some of the major agencies who could get involved started just shipping into south manhattan and evacuating people from the city so if you talk to people who were in the city that day i think the majority of them got out via boat And so it was just unbelievably scary and, like, ironic to me that he was meeting with all these boat levels of the agencies to discuss what they would do in this kind of thing. And then a few hours later it happened. But he talked about how when it when it first hit, he was, like, down on Church Street, which if anyone's familiar with Manhattan, that's, like, right there where, where the World Trade Center is. And he was, like, moving – People behind cars, a few Secret Service agents were there as well because their office is like right there, and he knew all those guys. They just happened to literally be there. It was just so bizarre that, you know, because it's Manhattan and there's a lot of important different government offices and regular business offices that work there, all these different important people happen to be down in the area, some of them actually in the building while this is going on, and it's just chaos. And you know, to hear him describe that and then describe how the second plane, like, went right over his head, it's just, I mean, to me, it's its surreal. I, I don't know. How old were you when, when 9-11 happened? I was mm, two and a half, three years old. Okay. And crazy enough, I do remember the day. I don't remember really? the event. I remember what I had done that day. It was my first day of preschool. And I remember being there for, again, three years old, but probably felt like five minutes. My teacher crying hysterically, holding me in my arms, handing me off to my dad who took me home. And I remember telling my mom that one day a few years ago, and she's like, that was 9-11. Because my dad remembered vividly picking me up. Her husband died in the towers that day. Oh, oh my God. And those had to be your formative years, too. The teacher's husband? Yeah. 
Ugh. That was the only day I attended that preschool, too. It's it's one of those. So I was, I guess, like four or five years older than you. And it's one of those things that each year that goes by, it gets more and more monumental in my life, like as a moment, because there's something so surreal about watching planes hit a build. Like, it sounds stupid to, to this day. Like, I will watch the video, and it still sounds stupid. Like, these planes hit a building. And it also just was this – it was this precursor. It was this ripple effect event. You know, you look at our history. You said you watched the, the Netflix documentary. I'm sure someone said this in there. I watched some of that. But anyone would say this. It's like you look at the history of – the world, but especially the United States, there's pre 9-11 and there's post 9-11. Mm-hmm. And it's because of everything that happened afterwards and, and to see how that was all catalyzed and how it was, you know, a bunch of people in suits going to work. It, it wasn't like this war army event or something like, you know what I mean? It was just this wild, sick, sad, twisted, sadistic day. And it, it changed everything. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you were old enough, and it's crazy that you were two and a half or three years old and you remember that. But it, I would say it's like one of my first real vivid, vivid memories that I can point back to, and, and I'll never forget that. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, for me, like, I remembered an event that happened to be on the day, you know? Like, you were, what, eight, nine, ten years old around that time? I was, like, seven. Seven, so close. But did you, what were you doing that day? Do you remember vividly? Because you said that was one of the first things that you'd really remember if you could dig deep into your childhood. Uh, do you remember I, exactly where, where you were? Yeah, I, I went to school in South Jersey. And, you know, it's about an hour 45 outside New York City. So there were a lot fewer people in South Jersey who were directly affected by, like, husband, wife, or mom, dad. But there were still some. There's still some kid from my town died. Another guy from a town over her husband who commuted in every day died. So there were still some, but there's also a lot of people who have family right there in New York. And then, you know, they lost extended family in, in the buildings or their family lucky enough got out. But I remember being in class and then suddenly seeing all the teachers who had family in lower Manhattan. And it was like, I think it was like five or six of them, like right on that hallway right there of different grades and they were like crying on the phones checking that everyone's okay and my one teacher who was an awesome teacher she just had this really serious look on her face but not she wasn't like a deer in a headlight at all but there was definitely the idea that like holy shit how the hell am I going to tell a bunch of seven-year-olds about this you know because they weren't going to let out school early we were far south enough that we weren't going to do that, but she's like, all right, people see people crying out in the hallways. I'm going to show them the TV too. And I don't even remember what she said, but she just kind of delivered like, Hey, these buildings got hit. Some bad people did it. It's some sort of foreign force that doesn't seem to like America at all. And we're going to hear from the president tonight about it. And you should check with, if anyone has family in New York, This was early days of cell phones, but she's like, I will, you can use my phone and call your parents. Let's check on them. If you need to leave, no problem. And I was just like, okay, because you're not, you're processing it, but you're not processing it. It's not like, 
I don't think the gravity of it can hit you fully when you're that age. I, I think you probably have to be like 11, 12 years old to really be like, oh, my God, I know what this is. But still, there's something, you know, I remember my mom picking me up. And I remember the TV being on at home and Wolf Blitzer reporting on the whole thing. And, you know, there's just images and everyone's just in shock. Your parents are in shock, so now you're in shock. And then you start to realize, like, okay, something really terrible has happened. And then just by, you know, reminiscing about this right now, you know, you had an experience at seven. I had an event that I remembered when I was three. And you're talking to him in this interview about him literally discussing with his team like what could happen and what we need to do if something like this were to happen and it happens just a few hours later i mean it's crazy to think about you know the the types of things that you could not just experience but talk about and go down that route of things that you didn't necessarily know that you were going to discuss and have you felt that way with other guests that you've had on the trend of fire like that like you said like that's top three guests right there that people look at and be like that was a great ass interview man what other interviews do you kind of i don't want to say pride yourself on but like interviews you look at and be like that was really good and this is why i continue to do this every guest there's been a moment like that every single one which is an an amazing feeling there's people say things that I'm just like, Oh, and they go places with ideas. Like, you know, we're, we're trained in this world right now that has everyone. You're either here or you're here. This politics is in everything. It's not just like who you vote for or whatever. And we're led to believe based on the extremes we see online that that's what it is. And you start to realize that people are really fucking complicated and the last people you would ever think are going to think one thing are going to say it. And then you're like, Oh, and so I don't know what episode it was, but somewhere along the way, I just stopped even thinking about assuming anything about someone before they came in. And so it's just a very blank slate, and I, I see what happens. But they're all special in, in their own way. I've, I've been lucky. I haven't had a bad guest yet. Everyone's been been good. There's been some who have been phenomenal, I would say, probably rise above the rest. But there's different episodes for different reasons. I, I know I can kind of go off some that have been really affected when people see that seen, have seen it on TikTok and then end up watching the episode or listening to the episode. So another one like that was definitely Ashton Larald because he, I mean, first of all, he's a, he's a musician who I was a fan of. I've known him for a couple of years as far as like his music, like listening to it. And someone reached out and they're like, Hey, would you want to talk to Ashton? I was like, hell yeah. But he's got an unbelievable way of just describing things. Like he's he's a wordsmith, which I love because I'm a writer by trade, and that kind of stuff is just I could talk with that all day. And so when he came on, I'm thinking, you know, all right, we'll probably talk about music a lot. You know, some thoughts around what he's thinking there, and then boom. I mean, half hour in starts going hard towards mental health, and I didn't know any of this stuff as far as like his experiences and. He started talking about his days where he was, you know, suicidal and all that. And it was it was a long period. It wasn't like, you know, he was feeling bad one day and saying, oh, you know, I might have been suicidal. I was like, no, no, like he was. And there was all kinds of shit that went around that. His, his childhood was very interesting because he, he had a great relationship with his parents and everything. And it wasn't like that was an issue. It was just like kind of some demons in his head. And I remember when he started talking about that. It got to one point where I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is different. 
this is there's just kind of a feeling you get and you're like some people who have no idea who the fuck this is are going to hear this guy and they're going to be inspired by it and when that happens i've been pretty good at just completely ignoring that and continuing to roll with it and letting it happen and that needs to continue to be the case because if i had to start thinking about well this sounds like it's going to be good content this thing's over and and i don't i don't do that because i don't think i can i mean there's there's too much going on but that one was definitely special for that reason and then I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. There's there's been there's so many different types of people and subject matters that come up. You know, I, I try to cut up the content as best I can on TikTok, and you know, there's plenty of evergreen things I can take from every episode. So I'll still go reach back in the bag for an episode I did almost a year ago. But when I do it, almost every time I learn something new that I forgot about or that I didn't fully understand the first time around, and so. I don't know. There's just a lot of different great perspectives that have been flying around. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can understand that, you know, talking with all the different people you do. It's, it's, not, it's not any one way or any one way of doing it or thinking about it. People just kind of, once they, once the guard comes down, it's like, all right, we're off to the races. Well, let me ask you this thing, because, you know, we started this episode off with, you know, you saying that behind these doors, when the doors are shut, you have no idea what's going to come out of that person's mouth or, you know, the stories that are going to be shared or even, you know, personal struggles, like you just mentioned with that one guest who's a musician. And it's crazy to see people open up in front of a microphone with someone that Maybe, you know, they know, they barely know, you know, like I've had mental health conversations with other mental health coaches on here, you know, opening up about things that I probably wouldn't even tell my mom 10 years ago, you know, like she's been trying to pull that shit out of me forever. And I'm telling some random guests, like, what what do you think makes it so different? You know, having a quote unquote platform and sharing, you know, personal life adventures and stories and struggles and you know, anything in any which way, like what do you think makes it different, like a different type of atmosphere to come out and share those things and have a real conversation with someone on a platform? I think it's the intimate nature of the process. And it's why, you know, and and I've had to sacrifice some volume for this, but I'm going to bet on it long term, and it's the way I knew I had to go because of my timeline with things and just putting all the chips in this and not doing anything else. But I don't even – I own the Zoom app if I have to open it up and someone else Zooms me. I don't, I don't do any anything that's not in person because I think that is a huge, huge part of it. Now, it helps when you're on it and guys like you and me who have a full setup professional microphones headphones like that's better than the regular zoom no doubt about it but i'm sure you can even attest to it with guests you have on where they don't have that set up and there's delays i mean there's even delays when we do this a little bit when someone is sitting right across from you and the doors are shut and the lights are out and no one even knows the time exists weird shit happens and i often say that i think that if you mandated that divorcing couples had to be locked in a room like this with headphones in and talk until they're done. Divorce lawyers would be out of business. I, I don't, I don't think they would have a business. If you said the door's locked, you're going to be in there for 12 hours, knock it out. Like that's, that's how it would go because it is just, 
is highly, highly personal. And the second layer to it is I spent my entire career, a big part of what I did that I made like, you know, the main part was getting to know people and talking with them. And when you're working in finance, especially with people's money, most of the people you talk to, you're never going to do business with, which I'm glad I didn't know that going in because I just, you know, you're out there and you're quote unquote networking. And I try to avoid using that word because I really hate it. It's, it, it has the wrong connotations, I think now, because people overuse it, but I just would get people's stories and I would, I'd fuck with them. I'd, I'd be like, all right. This is someone I, I enjoy. I like spending time around them. I don't care if we're going to do business or not. They're, they're up to interesting shit. And that's someone I can talk to now. And someone that I can develop a genuine friendship with. And so in doing that, I had to, I had to talk with people across the spectrum of every background and even age. And I started to realize, all right, I think I'm pretty good at that. I, I, I think that's probably a talent. Whether it was totally built from the years of doing that or some of it's innate, I don't know. But that's pretty much what I do now. And I just do it with a little more personal touch to it. And you're forced to talk to me. Right. So it's not it's not really any different. So you knew right off the bat when you started the Trend of Fire that you were going to have this conversational show talking about whatever it is you're going to talk about. Like you knew going in, there's your logo right there, that it wasn't going to be this Q&A-based thing where you're just like, wow, that's interesting. On to my next topic. Because that was my problem starting off. Like you mentioned like having, you know, the advantage of knowing what I wanted young. I also had the disadvantage of not knowing how to do it at all and learning through my own failures and mistakes. Where I feel like when you started your show, you knew exactly what you were going to do with it. Not not necessarily know exactly what you were going to do with it, but you knew how to have conversations with people on a show. You knew knew your platform. at, at, At the very beginning, I had to do the solo route when I was building it. To release it because I had to show people like, all right, I got a studio, like it's legit, whatever. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to do like 30 of these before someone wants to come in. And I was just dreading it because, first of all, and you said you did it for a while. Yeah. For people that haven't done that, I don't know if they do it like I did, but I had the pressure of no cuts. Like you do it right. You do it straight through. I'm a one take guy. This multi take bullshit. I hate that. So. It is the fucking hardest thing to do. Go talk to yourself for an hour. Tell me how it goes. It's it's not like it, it wasn't that fun. It was it was more some of the fun was like figuring out some different things that worked and things I could do. But I'm like, the sooner I can get someone in here so that I don't just have to listen to myself and someone else can share some some other ideas, the better. And then it happened pretty quick because I launched with 10 episodes. I did get two people to talk with me in those 10. So two of them were with people. And I was filming the next four right there that had already been outlined. And so once I did those, I started lining them up and I slid right into that guest thing. I said, all right, done with the solos. Let's let's just talk with people. But as far as the content goes and, and the style, my style has always been that you know, horrible, terrible, two-cent word, authenticity. Usually when, when people say the word, and I'm being a huge hypocrite right now saying it, but fuck it, we'll do it. When people say the word authenticity out loud, that that's usually one of the more inauthentic people you'll ever meet. For me, it kind of hurt me because 
I, you know, I'm a rebel. I, I don't like – I like rules that make sense. You, you tell me not to kill somebody, that's a good rule. I, I think that's a great rule. I'm going to follow that one. You tell me that, like, I'm not allowed to text a client because it's not on email and it's the year 2020. All right, that's not a good rule. I think I'm going to break that one. And that's just like an example from the bank. But in my life, I've always operated like people like me for being me. And, I'm, you know, there's good with that. There's, I'm sure there's bad with that. I, I can think of a few things, but it's just me. And so I'm like, okay, well, what works? And I had gotten – I had become a fan of Rogan, who's got the biggest podcast in the world, in like 2018 – and I remember thinking to myself, you know, it was very cool that I liked him because usually when you gravitate towards people you like in like pop culture, it's someone you see a ton of things in common with, like interest wise. And this guy had such a wide range of things that were outside my purview or like that I would never look at. And then I, I enjoyed him and I was like, that's interesting. Why is that? And I started to realize I'm like, cause he just fucking rolls camera and then you hear him talk about it a little bit and like at the beginning people were like what are you doing he's like i don't know i'm just gonna roll it and he did and he just kept doing it and it's because he was good at this one thing and it blew my mind that like i i can't speak to it with him at spotify exclusively now and what that's done to numbers but pre-spotify he was the number one show in the world, and I don't think like the th- the two or three shows behind him combined even had his full audience. Mm. So you, when you look at things that work in culture, everyone tries to copy the thing that does. Oh yeah, this was such an outlier because you can't you you, it, uh, you can't copy being someone for three hours. It, it's not possible. Like there's no, it's this isn't Oprah Win and no disrespect to Oprah, love Oprah. She did a phenomenal job for years, but it's not like that. All right, here's the questions we're gonna hit. It's gonna be like a ten minute segment, like that. You can copy. And you're probably not gonna be nearly as good as Oprah, but you can do a knockoff. You can't do a knockoff of Joe Rogan. You can't change what his experiences are to be your own. You can't change who you are to be like him. You can't talk like him. You can't have little tics like him. So I'm like, that's why there's nothing like him out there. Then I took it a layer lower, and I was like, but why aren't other people trying to be their own form of that? Like, why aren't other people doing, like, long-form podcasts, talking with a bunch of people and really getting to the bottom of things and just, you know, rolling with it? And I looked at the list, and I'm like, the people who are kind of doing that are, like, Russell Brand and Dax Shepard, who do a phenomenal job. They're a little less long-form sometimes than he is, but, you know, they were actors first great actors and now they're really great podcasters too i'm like all right that's kind of different and then i'm like the only other people doing it are people in his tree you know he's like his scientist friends and his comedian friends and they're either scientists or they're comedians there's no middle ground like they're either you are thinking the whole time or you're laughing the whole time i'm like okay no one is doing it where it can kind of just be both sometimes and i'm like isn't that what normal conversation is like with people who are personable? It's kind of both. Like you can talk about deep shit. You can talk about light shit. And it's all part of the same thing. I'm like, this is not complicated. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's just what I'll do. And I'll see, you know, I'll just have to talk about me, which was like a whole weird thing. Like as far as it's not like talking about yourself, it's more like 
you know when you're talking with people for that long, pretty much anything that's going on in your mind, it's going to come out, whether explicitly or implicitly. Yeah. So it's like you got to be okay with having that out there publicly. And I think I just jumped into it and never thought about it because normally that, that kind of shit would horrify me. I was always the guy who wanted to have a career behind closed doors and no one knew who I was. So this is like a nightmare. But I guess like time and circumstance, I was just like not paying attention to it. And so now it's, it is what it is, but it's still like even weird, you know, at least I get to be in a studio, like away from stuff, but it's even like crazy to me. Like when people reach out and they're like fans, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, like I'm terrible. What are you doing? (laughs) But you know, they, they resonate with it because we, it's like, it's like they're sitting at the table here. It's not, there, yeah, there's I mean, no production. you never really know what people are going to resonate with, right? Because, like, yeah. you think you suck, but there's people out there that are inspired by what you're saying and what you're putting out there. Rogan probably thought forever that he sucked. You know, like all of these guys. Dave Portnoy probably thought he sucked. Guys taking over the entire sports media biz, you know? And, and I think it's different for everybody. Everybody finds themselves at one point or another, you know? Like, you know that you need to be yourself to be successful. I know I need to be myself. Rogan knows that he needs to be himself. There's people out there that are inspired by the Rogans and the Portnoys and, you know, actors, musicians, whatever it is. And they want to be like them because they haven't quite found what's going to make them them yet. They need to be inspired by something else in order to keep going. Whether they find that out at 17, 27, or 50, you know, like that I feel is um, very important to figure out at some point in your life because if you don't, you're just going to be a relic of somebody else trying to be like someone else. There's a ton of people who want to be journalists just like Barstool Sports, you know, like you probably see that being in Jersey all the time. Everybody wants to be the next Barstool Sports personality, and I was sick of that growing up. That's a perfect example, by the way, what you just said. See, and I knew you'd understand it because you're from the same neck of the woods. I have friends who just want to be that raunchy personality of something. Like you can't duplicate what they did. It's been done already. You have to be yourself. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a long-ass journey. It's going to take forever. You might not ever find it. But if you do, it's going to be, again, using that word authentic, it's going to be you, you know, and nobody can replicate you. They can, Here's the thing. You can't replicate it, but you can follow. That's a model yeah. you can actually follow. That was the point. I didn't say that well enough. But, like, with Rogan, there's no model you can follow other than I'm going to talk with someone for a long time. That's it. There's no, like, you can't do any, what are you going to sit there and try to talk like him? With Barstool, yes, there are people who do that knockoff shit, and you can tell they're literally, like, trying to be KFC or trying to be Portnoy, and it doesn't work. But the people who take, like, who are willing to be in a saturated market and sit there and just create for a while and have no one care and just keep going and do it with a genuine personality... But follow the same kind of like, all right, we're going to have a rundown. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to have the the two-minute drill or or whatever and stuff like that. Yeah, some select few of talented people can pull that off. And that's what I was trying to say where there are some things where you can follow a model. You can't totally be like, I'm going to be the same exact thing. But you can can pick out like, all right, I'm going to do these five things. These are the types of pieces of content I'm going to put out. And that's it. You know, and, and that's the that's the that's the weird thing about doing it the way I'm doing it, because it, it, it's hard to say, like, all right, does this work or, or doesn't it? Because there's not really a ton of precedent out there. I just don't know why there isn't, because I, I feel like more people should have seized on this and said, you know what? You are just kind of 
you're selling yourself and your ability to have a conversation. That's it. You know, it's that's it. What are you uh, doing next weekend in Jersey? Out of curiosity. Next weekend in Jersey. Check your schedule. Not to invite myself, but since I'm going to yeah. be there, I'd love to check out your setup and talk more about this. Yeah, man, absolutely. We do got to wrap Let's up do. here shortly in a few seconds, but I'd love to, again, come on the Trend of Fire, your platform and your space, and again, have a conversation like this because this is the stuff I love talking about, man. Like, yeah, like that right there is the prime example of someone who knows what they're talking about in their true self, which is something I would definitely love to not only pick your brain about more, but again, see what makes you tick in your own environment and being back home. It'll be very interesting and very cool to see what you're doing on your side. And again, you could find the trend of fire, uh, not only on YouTube, but you got your Instagram. Where, where can we find you? It seems like most people are Apple and Spotify. Oh, yeah. my, my tick and then TikTok, TikTok is at trend of fire, T R E N D I F I E R. And then I find that pretty much all the consumption comes from Apple and Spotify. Everything is available on YouTube, but YouTube is way, 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 way behind those other two. So if people prefer the audio, that's good with me. Wherever wherever people want to get it, I'm down. Well, the Trend of Fire with Julian Dory available now. Thanks so much, man. Hopefully we can connect next weekend. Uh, This was episode 409. We're presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Hanko, hit the close. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.